Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Live with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to Live with Dr. Wendy. I am Wendy Patrick. It's time for the headlines with a silver lining. Substance seasoned with salt. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Larry Dersham and an estate planning attorney and also a constitutional law expert if that hasn't become painfully clear week after week as we discuss so many very important topics. Tonight, we have a special guest for the second half, but we are going to wait for that because that's going to be really a splash. Speaking of splashes, when is election day this year? Do you know? Well, you might be thinking, isn't it the first Tuesday in November? You'd be right. It's November 3rd. But the bigger question is, why all of a sudden in the last three days have we been talking about it? What could possibly have happened that has made this such a headline since Thursday? Well, you guessed it, a presidential tweet. But not just any presidential tweet, because the president tweets all day, every day. The president tweeted out a question that's gotten lost in translation, but it was a question that didn't just create a splash, but a tidal wave a frenzy of activity. Now, many people never saw the tweets. They were just wiped out in the surf. So let's review. Did the president say that he wanted to delay the election? Because after all, that's been the headline, hasn't it? President Trump seeks to delay the November 3rd election. Well, no. His tweet talked about universal mail-in voting, not absentee voting, which He thinks is good in which he does himself. But his view, and this is nothing new, he's been consistent on this point for the last couple of years. He believes universal mail-in voting is inaccurate and will cause election fraud. In fact, in his tweet, he brought out the all caps, as he often does, and said that it will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. Talked about it being a great embarrassment to the USA. Now, here it comes. This is the 11-word question that created the tidal wave. Here it is, quote, delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote, followed, mind you, by three question marks, not those exclamation points in all caps that he uses to pursue an issue. This was a question, but as predicted and as strategized, no doubt, it created quite the conversation, which in a minute I'm going to get to, which I think was the point. Because rather than back off in the face of widespread criticism from both sides, Mr. President, you know you can't move the election. Of course he knows that. What did he do? He pinned this tweet (laughs) atop his Twitter profile, lest there be any mistake that this was a calculated tweet, not an off the cuff, well, gosh, I have this on my mind. I think I'm going to float a trial balloon and see what people think about this. Now, both sides of the aisle know, as does the president, he has no authority to unilaterally change the date of the election, which is set by federal law. He knows this. That wasn't the purpose of the tweet. He wasn't suggesting we move the election. 
But what did he do? What are we talking about? Everybody is now talking about voting. How do you do it? How do you do it safely? Is there a risk of election fraud? Is there any evidence of election fraud? Remember, that's really where the rubber meets the road. That's where everybody wants to know, well, show me the numbers. How prevalent of an issue is election fraud? Is it just more of a risk, like Bill Barr said during his congressional testimony this week? Or do we actually have numbers to back it up? So the president himself basically talks about this universal voting. But remember, there really will be many options to vote in November, including early voting and in-person voting. Now, we all know people that really enjoy the experience of going to the polls and voting in person. And yes, you will still be able to do that in most areas, at least as of now, come November. Now, who's gonna do this? These are many of the people you already see out and about every day. Appropriately masked, gloved, sanitized, and socially distanced, they are making the most of pandemic public life. So contrary to what some of the president's critics have suggested about trying to distract from bad news about the economy, remember the president has been tweeting and posting and speaking about his belief, at least, in election fraud, even when the economy was booming over the last couple of years. So what has he done with this tweet? He's basically dug in his heels with everybody else that he wants the election to go forward on November 3rd, but he wants the vote count to happen then as well. And that has been his talking point. Because consider this, even if somehow that November 3rd date was moved, the constitution still requires the presidential term end with a hard stop at noon on January 20th. So we pretty much have to have those votes counted by then, or at least that's what the president's arguing we need to do to make sure that this presidential election goes off as planned. Okay, so not only do we know that that is his intent, but what did he do at the press conference later that day in terms of backing up his worry, his concern about election fraud? What did he do at the briefing later in the day? For a man who admittedly does not like paper, he came to the podium armed with plenty of it, showcasing report after report, holding these things up for the cameras, studies that basically, as he was explaining, back up his concern about the risk of fraud generated by mail-in ballots. But one thing I want to clear up, Larry, that I cannot tell you how many questions I get daily about this. The president consistently distinguishes mail-in voting from absentee voting, which he likes and admittedly does himself. Larry, is this a distinction with a difference? Yes, Wendy. Technically, uh, there's not very much difference. Every state provides a means for voters to cast a ballot without physically showing up at the voting booth. Absentee balloting traditionally has been a means to participate in an election for voters who are unable to physically go to the polls whether because of mobility issues such as illness, travel on election day, military service, or residents on a college campus. Of course, the COVID-19 crisis prompted some liberal lawmakers to demand a universal, uh, universal mail-in system in which ballots would be mailed in uh, to, uh, mailed to all registered voters for them to make choices and return by mail. Now, most localities, uh, they do have a, uh, all mail-in voting, uh, but they also have in-person voting. And I'll tell you, in San Diego County, normally we'll have 2,500 polling places. I called the Registrar of Voters 
uh, this Friday. And of course gonna, you did. They're going to cut down uh, to <laughs> about uh, 750, I think. That's a huge uh, limiting factor right there, but they'll still have in-person voting. That's the plan right now, but it's really dropped in the number of polling places. Uh, of course, absentee voting is prone to fraud, election experts say, but it has more safeguards than all mail voting. What's it's, the main difference? Yeah. I think that's the, you're, you're really the expert on that. Yeah, well, for uh, absentee voting, usually the voters have to request a ballot in most states and fill out a form and sign it to authenticate the request. Uh, but for the all mail-in voting, they're just going to mail those out to everybody. And we know, Wendy, the problem with uh, the voter rolls that are just not cleaned up. You have people that have moved. Uh, you have people that have actually passed away and they're still receiving uh ballots in the mail, and so many more problems. So the fact that they're going to mail this to everybody and there'll be no need to sign anything to verify that they are still uh, there to vote is very worrisome. And it's just, it has the ability for there to be a lot of fraud. And that was the point that was made repeatedly by the president, not only during the press conference, but he's talked about it over the years. And while we can say, well, gosh, we don't have the hard evidence numbers we wish we did, we at least have Barr's testimony this week talking about a significant, at least, increase in risk. And that's really what the president is talking about. So then the question becomes this. The president wants to see voter identification in order to cast a vote, in order to cast a ballot. Now, many people agree with that. I mean, think of all the things we have to use an ID to be able to do. I mean, even practical little things. We have to use one if we're buying alcohol, opening a bank account, applying for food stamps. Well, I would make the joke that some of us don't get carded anymore, but that's the topic of another segment, Larry. Um, applying for welfare, unemployment, renting a house, buying a house, getting a mortgage, flying on an airplane, buying, renting a car, purchasing a gun. I mean, we could go on and on, applying for Medicaid. I mean, it probably isn't that burdensome to say maybe we should require identification to cast a vote for your local officials, for your state officials, and for the president of the United States. So the election will be going forward on November the 3rd. But between now and then, what I think has been generated by this tidal wave of excitement by that question, that 11-word question in the president's tweet Thursday morning and then doubled down on Thursday afternoon, is we've got to make sure that we have an election that's safe, that is uh, really not going to cause a risk of fraud and that everybody can agree will have the result that's intended, having the votes necessary to have that office vacated when it's supposed to be. Now, I think we can get bipartisan support for that. All right, please stay with us. We have a very high-profile special guest in the second half. You do not want to miss her. You are listening to Live with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Stay with us. cycle lowlights have no place here you're listening to headline highlights live with dr wendy on the answer san diego it's time for more news you can use the headlines streamline it's time for more live with dr wendy now here's your host dr wendy patrick 
Welcome back to Live with Dr. Wendy. I am Dr. Wendy Patrick. Thank you for joining us. Larry, we have a very special guest on the line. Why don't you tell us who do we have tonight? We have an amazing guest, Wendy. Our guest today is none other than Katie McFarlane, President Trump's first deputy national security advisor, starting with the Trump Tower transition and through the early months of the administration. She has also chaired the Interagency Deputies Committee, which brings together government departments and agencies to make policy recommendations to the president. She initiated the Trump administration's reassessment on a range of national security issues, beginning with North Korea and China. Now, that's important, China, right? Uh, KT makes frequent appearances on Fox News and Fox Business News, and she has held national security posts in the Nixon, Ford, and Reagan administrations as an aide to Dr. Henry Kissinger. And she was also a senior speechwriter to our Secretary of Defense, Casper Weinberger. Welcome to the show, KT. It's a pleasure, and it's an honor to be with you, too. KT, uh, I've met you in the Fox News Channel, New York City Green Room, and I just want our listeners <laughs> to know you are as gracious in person as you are on television, make no mistake. And just in case anybody thinks KT is just out there saving the world, which she is, we also have a lot in common with KT in terms of practical reality. She became a stay-at-home mother and had that experience in 1985. And during the next two decades, she taught Sunday school, served as a class mother, directed school plays, headed a preschool library, and sang in the church choir. So I would call that being very well-rounded. So that's very impressive. Um, <laughs> Katie, I want to start you. by, uh, oh, yes, I mean, it's you've done it all. Um, that should be the title of your next book, Doing It All. So I know you lost a good friend in Herman Cain, and uh, he's yeah. somebody that um, basically has has spoken so well of you over the years. You actually said every time you spoke with him, you came away happy. And that tells me a lot about his personality, because I guess even people who disagreed with him ended up liking him. Um, I know you met him in 2011 when he was actually running for the Republican nomination for president. I remember that. Uh, you've called him the Donald Trump candidate before Trump. Uh, he's a successful businessman, a Washington outsider. And just this Friday, Newsmax played a clip showing how Herman Cain mentioned you in one of his high-profile television appearances. And I'm guessing you might have called him afterwards. Well, what happened was he did. Um, he was, you know, he was he was Donald Trump before Donald Trump ran for president. Because when Herman Cain ran in 2011, at that point, the only people who ever ran for president were senators, congressmen, um, high-profile governors from big states, never any businessmen. And so here's Herman Cain, African-American, grew up in the Jim Crow South to, you know, abject poverty, self-made man, put himself to school with scholarships and hard work, and he believed in the American dream, and he had sort of three major careers. The first one was in in the um, restaurant business. He would take trouble restaurant chains, turn reorganize them, turn them around, and make them successful. He did that several times, Burger King, um, Godfather's Pizza, household names. That's and then great. he had a career in what you do, which is radio talk show host and columnist. And then he decided, well, I'll run for president. And it was so great because here was a conservative 
African-American man from the Deep South, deeply religious, um, a man of enormous integrity and principle and intelligence. And it was it was just so great to see somebody like that run. Now, of course, what did Washington do say? Oh, my gosh, how could we have a man who doesn't know anything about politics run for president? <laughs> uh, sound familiar, right? That's for sure. Uh, but I really think that had he won the Republican nomination in 2012 um, instead of Mitt Romney, I think that Herman Cain probably could have been president. Oh, indeed. Um, and it would have really changed everything. And sorry yeah. to lose him. He was a really good man, inspirational to so many people. And sure. I really think he paved the way for Donald Trump. Because then when Donald Trump ran, oh, yeah, successful businessman, um, no experience in politics, yada, yada, yada. And yes. yet Donald Trump was able to win. And, and I think it's been a very good president. That's for sure. Well, KT, you're very inspirational to many people, too. And, and part of that has to do with everything you know about some of the current investigations. And one thing we want to ask you about, you know, as a career prosecutor, I have closely followed John Durham's criminal inquiry into the Russia right. investigation. Um, we know that was it even came up in Barr's testimony when he testified this week. When he was asked if he would leak the results, he said, um, no, he would not. He would not. He basically, he's going to keep it close to the vest. Um, but one of the things that uh, you've predicted uh, is that we might have an answer near the end of summer, even though I've also heard you basically speculate this might be something that might unfortunately be delayed. What are your thoughts on that this evening? I know the politics of this shift daily, wondering where we are today. Well, a couple of things, Dr. Wendy. Now, first, if there if there is no report or no indictments before the election, kiss it goodbye, yeah. because it'll just get that means that the, the bureaucracy is won. They'll bury that so deep, archaeologists will never find it. <laughs> um, it but I, I do think and the excuse, well, it's too political to have before an, an election. Are you kidding? This is so political already. There's no way right. to right. make it less or more political, and it would be just as political after the election. So that, that's number one. Um, I think that there are a lot of indications, though, that something's happening. Um, when Attorney General Barr spoke this week on a, um, in congressional testimony before the House uh, Judiciary Committee and the Democrats acted like a pack of snarling dogs <laughs> going after him, but he, he said a couple of things. Um, he made it sound like there was something happening with Durham, but he also talked about another investigation. And you as a lawyer are going to find this interesting. I think that the what he talked about was that the unmasking, there's something um, in the intelligence world is called unmasking. So it's illegal to wiretap an American citizen, but it is legal to wiretap a terrorist, you know, a, 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 any kind of foreigner, but particularly terrorists, drug dealers, um, Russian spies, et cetera. And so when the Russian ambassador was talking to General Flynn, um, a number of people in the West Wing asked for his identity to be unmasked. And so, in other words, that the intelligence community would say, well, here's the Russian ambassador. He's talking to American citizen number one, but it's really General Flynn. Now, it's, it's too much in the weeds. I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but I think that that part of the investigation uh, brings the whole thing, not just at the FBI, not just at the Justice Department, but it brings it into the West Wing of the White House. And oh, uh, Attorney sure. General Barr did, did mention that this investigation into this whole unmasking thing was far bigger and went on for a far longer time than they thought. 
So yeah. it's, not, it's not just one. There are a bunch of investigations of the investigators, and I sure hope something comes of it because if not, then then the bad guys have won because That's especially sure. what they did was that they basically have decided amongst themselves, senior officials in the Obama administration and in the bureaucracy, that the American people made a mistake in 2016. They elected the wrong person. And so these self-appointed bureaucrats were going to just sort of undo the American election and try to prosecute and persecute President Trump and anybody around him to prevent him from governing. I mean, when they went after General Flynn, and they went after me in exactly the same way as General Flynn, they weren't really going after us. They were trying to grow after Donald Trump, and he knows yeah. that. No, and that's for sure. Really to, a bunch of people thought they were far more important than the American voter, and, and I think that is the real crime. They were trying to un- take away our rights, take away our right to choose a president. Larry has been enjoying your book, Revolution. Right, uh, Katie. Your book, I actually have a copy of it, and it's amazing. Uh, You have a chapter in there. It's political civil war, and it sounds like what you're already talking about, we're already in a political civil war. What did you mean? How did that start? How did that civil war start? I think it's been coming for a long time, but, but at the beginning of this administration, when the Democrats and the mainstream media and the Washington establishment decided they didn't want Donald Trump to be president. I think that that is the civil war. It's really a civil war between who gets to govern. Does it, is it we the people or is it the Washington establishment who think they're in charge of everything? It's the permanent bureaucracy. It's the media. It's all the people that Donald Trump has been fighting. And after I left government, I, I was so sort of bummed out by the whole thing wondering what the heck is going on in my country that I left my husband and I left the country. We went to the rural Western um, coast of Scotland and even some islands in the, in the Hebrides. And I, you know, no Wi-Fi, no TV, no cell phone, no nothing. And I just tried to think through and I, I came to the conclusion that America goes through revolutions and that we're meant to go through revolutions that our founding fathers understood that we're constantly evolving society demographically, economically, geographically, every way you can think of. And yet government, by its very nature, just wants to cling to power. And so the American people, every 40 years or so, we have a peaceful political revolution, and we vote out the old guys, the ones who are no longer getting the job done, Republicans or Democrats, and we elect a new group of people with new ideas. I mean, that's what the American Revolution was about, although that was a fighting war. But we did the same thing with... In the President Andrew Jackson, we did the same thing with Abraham Lincoln. Right. We did the same thing with Teddy Roosevelt and with Franklin Roosevelt, with Ronald Reagan, and I think with Donald Trump. So as miserable as this is, and none of us like it, I mean, we're, we're all sickened by what's happening in Washington. Yes. I think it's a necessary sort of creative destruction. Because and I'm so glad you wrote about it. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is, I'm so glad you wrote about this. Um, we're at the end of the show, but I want to, we have the book, Revolution, Trump, Washington, We the People, KatieMcFarland.com. You have been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Katie. It's a, a pleasure and an honor. Thank you both. Thank you. You have been listening to Live with Dr. Wendy. I am Wendy Patrick. We will see you same time next week. God bless you. Have a great week.
Thank you for joining us for Live with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Live with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego.